nothing but Damian Lillard trades are all I'm seeing. Damian Lillard to the Miami Heat. Damian Lillard here. Damian Lillard there. I'm tired of hearing about Damian Lillard. There's no Damian Lillard on today's pod. None whatsoever. But we are looking at other teams that need to make major adjustments. And today we are debuting the 1%. Cannot wait to do it. Cannot wait to get into it. It's going to be such a good pod. I hope you stick around for the whole thing. Here we go. As I said in the intro, all of the talk so far this NBA offseason has been about the Portland Trailblazers and what they're going to do with Damian Lillard. Are they going to trade him? Are they going to keep him? If they keep him, how's he going to fit alongside Scooch? What are they going to do with all those guards in Portland? Now, believe it or not, there are other teams who have important decisions to make about their stars. So I have... Multiple fake trades for all these different teams. So let's start with a team that has been the definition of mediocrity over these past several seasons. And that is the Chicago Bulls. And I will say it very bluntly. They need to blow it up. It's time to clear some cap space. It's time to acquire assets to build for the future. I'm sorry. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are not getting you out of the Eastern Conference. They haven't even gotten you into the playoffs. They've gotten you into the play-in. The playoffs hadn't happened. It is time to move off of them and to build for the future. Fake trade number one. Zach Levine to the Clippers for Paul George. Okay, Zach Levine is going to be an interesting piece to trade because of how much time he has left on his contract. He's due $129 million over the next three years. And then he has a $49 million player option in year four of that contract and everything that's left. Meanwhile, you got Paul George, who's due $42 million at the end of the year. He has a player option for next year. Okay, but if the Bulls are rebuilding, and that's obvious, he'll probably opt out. The Bulls will then have extra cap space going forward. And I know if you're a Bulls fan, you probably want a little bit more back than just a guy in Paul George. But look, Paul George, good player. Put butts in the seats. You're going to sell some tickets. But look, you're not going to be able to trade Zach Levine for a, for a ton. You just aren't. Okay, Zach Levine is a number two, probably. I mean, and the other teams that might want him, I don't know of any other team that would want him. I'll be honest with you. Okay, because we know Zach Levine's been available these past several deadlines, and nobody's made a trade for him. So whatever we think Zach Levine is worth, he's not worth that. He's worth much less. Okay, and basketball-wise, I feel like this makes a lot of sense for the Clippers who are looking to contend. Paul George is a guy who struggles to stay on the floor. Levine is a guy who stays on the floor ever since he had the knee procedure a few years ago. He's played in at least 65 games every single year since then. And he's a guy who can be a second option when Kawhi Leonard plays due to his ability to shoot the ball and space the floor. Shot over 40% for three last year. But he can also be the main option on nights when Kawhi decides to not play. Okay, if you're going to have a star alongside Kawhi Leonard, it has to be a guy who plays night in and night out. Paul George is not that. Meanwhile, Zach Levine is 100% that. My next fake trade. I really like this one. I think this allows them to do 
the whole dual timeline thing, try to win now, try to build for the future, all that kind of stuff. Alex Caruso to the Warriors for Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. Now look, Alex Caruso is beloved by every fan base, by every NBA fan in general. Smart guy, moves the ball well, can shoot it, plays good defense. But he's 29 years old, going to be 30 here soon. The Bulls want to rebuild. He does not fit the timeline. And meanwhile, you've got Golden State, who's trying to win a championship next year, okay? They're going to bring back Draymond Green. They're going to bring back Klay Thompson. They need smart guys who can fit into that system, who know how to move the ball and can defend. Alex Caruso is everything that the Warriors would want in a basketball player. Okay, Jonathan Kaminga barely played for him last year, didn't contribute at all in the playoffs. Moses Moody didn't play during the regular season. Then you look up in the playoffs, and he played a role in that. But Alex Caruso could easily fill that same role. Now, Moses Moody and Kaminga on the Bulls allows them to develop a little bit more. It allows the Bulls to keep DeRozan and Levine if they want to give it one more go. Okay, you're adding two assets who can help you as opposed to just the one and Alex Caruso. They're both young. They're both, you know, younger than 21. Neither one of them can even drink a beer yet. Okay, and so let's say that you tried out this year, bring in Moody and Kaminga, and you're like, you know what, this still isn't working. Then you can move off Levine, uh, you can move off DeRozan, and then you have this young core of Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, and Patrick Williams. Like, that's not a bad young core of players to build your future around. I really like this trade for the Bulls. I think it solves a lot of problems. It allows them to run it back one more time with Levine and DeRozan if they don't get the trade offers that they're looking for. And this is my this is my final option. I really like this one. This one won't happen. I like it for both teams. This is definitely the the longest shot of all my fake trades that I'm going to have listed here. And that is Zach Levine to the New Orleans Pelicans for Zion Williamson, just a straight swap. Okay, the Pelicans have already tried moving Zion Williamson this summer. Tried to move him for Scoot Henderson, that number two overall pick to Charlotte. I don't think it's much of a secret that Williamson needs to change the scenery. Seems like he wants to be in a bigger market. I don't know if you remember how upset he was when he saw that the Knicks didn't get the number one pick and that it was the Pelicans. I think he wants to be in a big market in Chicago. Like That's the third biggest market in the NBA but behind L.A. and New York. So I think he'd be great in Chicago. Levine, meanwhile, gives the Pelicans a consistent offensive option who can actually stay on the floor, unlike Zion Williamson. Williamson gives the Bulls a legit star. Okay, the Chicago Bulls haven't had a legit superstar since 2012 before Derrick Rose blew out his knee. I think it solves a lot of problems for both teams. It allows the Pelicans to give it one more run, and it allows Zion to have his own team, to be in his own city, to be the guy. I think it'd be really good for both of them. So those are my three fake trades for the Bulls. Next, we've got the Minnesota Timberwolves, who I believe are going to move off of Carl Anthony Towns. Okay, he's going into the final year of his contract. There isn't a player in the world who wants to play in Minnesota. Okay, there isn't. And plus, if you're the Timberwolves, do you really want to keep him and Rudy Gobert on the same team? Both crowding the paint, just kind of getting in each other's way. I know... Cat can stretch the floor, and so we can lie to ourselves and say that it's going to work because of Cat's shooting ability, but it it doesn't. It's not going to work. It didn't work this last year. It's not going to work next year. It's not going to work. On top of that, if you move Carl Anthony Towns 
You put the ball in Anthony Edwards' hands more. And that's really the guy that you want to develop. That's really the guy that the Timberwolves think can become something special. Carl Anthony Towns, good player. But Anthony Edwards has the potential to far secede what Carl Anthony Towns is now. So here's here's our first option. Carl, Carl Anthony Towns to the New York Knicks for Julius Randle, Obi Toppin, and a first-round pick. Okay, Carl Anthony Towns' ability to pick and pop, also pick and roll, paired with Jalen Brunson, just sounds so enticing. I think he'd be so much fun playing alongside a true point guard like that. Um, just the ability to space the floor would also create space for Brunson and R.J. Barrett to slash to the rim. Okay, he can also post up on the offensive on offense as well if they need him to. Because here's the thing. Here was, I think, one of the biggest things for the Knicks this last year that they really struggled with was what do we do in the playoffs when Jalen Brunson isn't on the floor? We don't have anybody else to run our offense through. Carl Anthony Towns solves that issue. He, he solves that issue. There's your second consistent score. It's like, oh, what about Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett? They were up and down and inconsistent. Okay, neither one of those guys is good enough to be the second option on a on on a championship team. They just aren't. I mean, well, Carl Anthony Towns definitely is. Okay, even if you don't like Cat, you don't like the way he plays defense, you don't like how much he fouls. Offensively, he's he's incredible. He's great on offense. So I think the Knicks would do this in a heartbeat. Maybe would they like giving up Toppin? Probably not. But Toppin's pretty replaceable. Athletic wings who can play defense and are mass shooters, much easier to replace, much easier to find than guys like Carl Anthony Towns. Right? And then when we look at the Timberwolves, right? You get Julius Randle, you know, a solid player, right? A guy who can be the number two behind Anthony Edwards. You get Obi Toppin, who's a solid rotational player. And then you get a first round pick. I mean, I think that's a pretty solid return for Carl Anthony Towns. My next option, Carl Anthony Towns to the Miami Heat for Kyle Lowry, strictly for salary reasons, and three first-round picks. The Miami Heat need another scorer, desperately. They need another big guy, desperately. Okay, and Carl Anthony Anthony Towns provides both of those things. Okay, and his shooting ability allows him to play alongside Bam Adebayo, who would be able to support him on the defensive end. And meanwhile, when we look at Lowry heading to Minnesota, he be not, he like that's a nice point guard to have beside a guy in Anthony Edwards, okay? Lowry would allow Edwards to develop more offensively. Lowry's contract also ends soon as well, so the Timberwolves, I believe he's got 2 years left. Uh, so the Timberwolves would be able to bring in a second star that have a bunch of cap space open up where they'd be able to go try and get somebody in free agency in the near future. But here's the biggest part of this. Here's the biggest reason why the Timberwolves would do it, and that's the three first-round picks. Okay, They gave away so many picks in that trade for Rudy Gobert. They need picks to help them rebuild. They need something. They need some kind of draft capital. They don't have any right now. They gave it all to Utah for Rudy Gobert, a guy who scores 12 points a night and is great in the regular season but gets played off the floor in the playoffs. Those are my fake trades for Carl Anthony Towns and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Next, I think that the Atlanta Hawks need to move Trey Young. And I can hear people pushing back already. That's fine. Let me at least state my case first. Trey Young, small guard. 
who can't play defense. He has this reputation as a shooter, but he's a career 35% three-point shooter, which means he's a below-average shooter. Okay, and I understand that the city of Atlanta loves him, but Atlanta's not a small market. That's one of the biggest cities in the country, okay? Like, if this was Portland, like, I understand Portland not wanting to give up Damian Lillard because they are a small market that nobody wants to go to. Okay, I understand markets like that, wanting to hold on to their stars, but Atlanta is not a small market. You can talk people into moving to Atlanta and living there. It's not hard. On top of that, they already have their their point guard of the future. It's DeJounte Murray. He can easily run the show. We saw him do it in San Antonio. Okay, he can do it. He can be their new star. Okay, sometimes you have to make really tough decisions. This is not one of those times. I don't think this is I think this is a no-brainer. I think you have to move off Trey Young if you're the Hawks. Okay, you have Murray. Okay, and without Trey Young, a guy who is extremely ball dominant, it opens up more opportunities for their other young players like DeAndre Hunter to develop. It, it's going to give uh, Kobe Bufkin, the guy who they drafted this last year with the 15th overall pick, is going to give him an opportunity to actually have the ball in his hands and not just be a spot shooter. But the, here's the issue with moving off of Trey Young. There aren't very many teams who need an undersized guard who just chucks threes and doesn't play any defense. And I think there's only one team who'd be willing to take him on, and I don't even know if they would. Well, really, there's two teams. Here's my first option. Trey Young to the Toronto Raptors for Pascal Siakam. We know they've been trying to move off Siakam for something. You know, the Hawks probably had to give up some picks in there as well. But for the most part, salary-wise, this is who I think they would swap. And this wouldn't be a long-term thing for the Raptors. I think the first half of the year, they would spend, you know, letting Trey Young kind of do whatever he wants. And then in December, before the trade deadline, boom, they move Trey Young and they get a return on their investment. I think Siakam would be great in Atlanta, wing scorer. I think he'd fit well besides Murray, beside Murray. Uh, we've seen him kind of in that second option role before. So I like Siakam. I think he'd fit in really well in Atlanta. But there's another team who I think also could be a player for Trey Young. So I think Trey Young could also be a backup for some teams where it's like if we don't get Damian Lillard, who else could we go get? I think Trey Young is one of these guys. And so I think that the Brooklyn Nets could be a player for Trey Young. So here's my fake trade for Brooklyn and Atlanta. Trey Young to the Brooklyn Nets for Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. Okay, the, the Nets currently have more wings than a hospital. Okay, they have so many wings. It's absurd. Losing Dorian Finney-Smith wouldn't be that big of a deal. It wouldn't hurt their depth. Okay, the Nets need another star to play with Mikhail Bridges. And because they have so many guys who are good defenders, they can hide and they can protect Trey Young. They have the roster to protect Trey Young on the defensive side of the ball. Okay, we've seen Mikhail Bridges play off the ball a little bit more. Obviously, you want the ball in his hands more now, now that he's in Brooklyn. Right, He's not playing with Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, so he needs the ball in his hands more so that he can develop. But I think Young would be a nice pairing with him. Okay, And then when it comes to Dinwiddie, I think you know he can run the second unit in Atlanta, just another score off the bench. You can never have too many of those. Uh, between the two trades, this is definitely my favorite one for the Hawks. It adds another wing who can defend, and they can get a solid player who can score off the bench in Dinwiddie. Um, 
And there will also be a lot of offensive talent for Dan Snyder to play with. I mean, this is a new regime in terms of the coaching staff that Atlanta's operating under. And, yeah, like this is this is it. Okay? And I think the one thing that is true for all these teams is all, all of these teams have been spinning their tires in the mud. They have been. Okay? Right. You know, the Hawks had the one year where they made the conference finals. But outside of that, borderline playing team. Bulls have been a playing team. And then the the Timberwolves have been a playing team. Like they've all they're just spinning their tires in the mud, not getting anywhere. They've been lying to themselves, saying that they're on the right track, but when re- they really aren't, okay? As people on the outside looking in, I think everybody can see that. Okay, they're all just living in mediocrity, which is not where you want to be if you're a franchise. Okay, if you live in mediocrity, then you never draft high, so you never have a chance to draft Victor Wimbenyama. You never have a chance to draft Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson or anybody like that. Instead, you draft you know between like 14 and 17, and you get like rotation players. Maybe, maybe. And also, if you live in this you know place of mediocrity, you don't appease owners and fans. Okay, sports is a world where you either go big or you rebuild the home. Okay, it is time for these franchises to rebuild the home so that they can, at some point, they can go big. That's what they need to do. Tear it all down and rebuild the home. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're starting off the 1%. I can't wait to get into this. I've worked really hard on it. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back when we're shooting the Schmidt. So the 1%, I finally finished it. If you missed the last episode... I'll, I'll give you the rundown on what it is. Jonathan, the 1%, what are you talking about? Let me give you the rundown. So sports, football, basketball, baseball, cricket, tennis, pickleball, whatever. Sports are full of comparisons. People compare everything to a point where we just make all-time great players sound average. Okay, especially in basketball. It's not on purpose. It's just a result of how we talk about players. And part of making whoever your guy is sound great is making other guys sound like they're not great. So I had this idea. What if we changed the way that we rank players? Okay, growing up, you know, you have to take tests for school, right? And instead of just being like, you ha- you got an A or you got a 94 or whatever, they would tell you what percentile you scored in. Okay, so if you scored in the 98th percentile on the math section, then you know you were fantastic at math. If you scored in like the 47th percentile in English, then you knew you were like a little bit below average. Okay, and I want to use the same idea, the same idea of percentiles and apply them to the game of basketball. Okay, everyone has their Mount Rushmore list and their top 10s and their pyramids with like 97 players and all that kind of stuff. Everybody has that. And they base them off of all sorts of things, championships, MVPs, career averages, eye tests, all that kind of stuff, longevity, and so on. And so I am not ranking, I'm not giving you a Mount Rushmore, I'm not giving you a top 10. I'm going to rank the top 1%. These are the guys who test out in the 99th percentile in the history of the NBA. So there have been 4,374 players to appear in an NBA game. That's not very many people. 
1% of that would be 44. We're going to round up. So who are the top 44 players in NBA history? Before I get into it, just so you know for today, we're just doing 44 through 33. We're going to break it up into four parts. hoping to bring some guests on because this is way more fun if I can throw my ideas off of them. But before I get into the top 1%, here are the three guys who are just outside of it. Um, guys who could potentially break in next year as the number of guys who played in the NBA expands. James Worthy, Paul Pierce, Dominique, Dominique Wilkins, all three of these guys hanging just outside of the 1%. They all had great careers, obviously. But maybe next year when the NBA adds some more players and the top 1% expands, one of them could make it in. We'll see. So, Group C... Current and fading legends. So these are guys who we regard as legends right now. These are guys who who are also kind of fading, okay? And that's where these guys are headed. You know, we're like, in 20 years, when Charles Barkley is no longer on TV, we're not going to talk about him the same. We just aren't, okay? Um, When it comes to guys like Patrick Ewing, we don't talk about him as much as we used to. And when we do... It's in comparison to Michael Jordan and kind of everything that happened with him. So, here we go. Number 44 through number 33. Number 44, the first player who barely sneaks in. I really wrestled with this. It took me a long time to try and figure out who I was going to put at 44. I put Kevin McHale at 44. Okay, seven-time All-Star three-time NBA champ, six-time all-defensive team, two-time six-man of the year. He's the first person on the list. We also have our first exception here because the group is titled Current and Fading Legends, but Kevin McHale is going to be remembered for forever because of his connection to Larry Bird. We have other guys in this section who are like that. Scottie Pippen, who pops up later, he's a guy who will always be remembered because of his connection to Michael Jordan, for example. Okay, and McHale is no different but he was dominant. He was efficient. Okay, it's just it was hard to ignore the efficiency, given the fact that he didn't play as many minutes per game as starters because he wasn't a starter. He came in off the bench. If he'd been a starter, his numbers would have been out of this world. Um, he played good defense. He he did everything that you wanted. Um, the reason why I I couldn't put him higher is because he played with one of the best players ever. In Larry Bird, very like I said, very similar to Scottie Pippen in that regard. Uh, I think it hinders the way that people look at him, including me. You know, you could easily swap in James Worthy here. I wouldn't be upset, um, but I'm going to take Kevin McHale here at number 44. Also, I, I forgot to mention this before I started. The important things here that I'm grading off of: um, championships, MVPs, and the way that guys changed the way the basketball has been played. So keep in mind that last one, especially as we get to the top in like part four and things like that. Number 43, I have Walt Frazier. Okay, career, you know, 19 points a night, six rebounds, six assists, two steals, and basically zero blocks. Seven-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, two-time NBA champ, was all, was selected to the All-Rookie team, seven-time all defensive team. Walt Frazier, also known as Clyde Fra- Clyde Frazier, is a Nick legend. Okay, he's a large part of why the Knicks were a big deal in New York. Okay, at the peak of Walt Frazier's career, Willis Reed did an interview with Spot Magazine. 
And in the interview, he says, quote, it's Clyde Ball. He just lets us play with him once in a while. Okay, like, Walt Frazier is a big part of the reason why the Knicks are who they are. Okay, he's a big part of the reason why Nick basketball is such a big deal, not just in New York, but across the country. Okay, he is one of the biggest reasons for that. Okay, this guy was a two-way player as well, seven-time All-Defensive, as I just said. But I, I just, I have a soft spot for guys who show up in big moments, guys who have big game sevens, and Walt Frazier did that. The most famous game he ever played in, 1970 NBA Finals, Game Seven, series on the line, competing for a title. He scores 36 points, has seven rebounds, 19 assists, and five steals. That is that is out of this world crazy. That's those are those are Jokic numbers. That's what those are. Okay, that's out of this world crazy. And to do it, you know, in a time period where players around Walt weren't as good as role players are now, I think that's extremely impressive. Number forty-two, I have Clyde the Glide Drexler. Okay, 20 points per game for his career, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals and a block, 10-time All-Star, 5-time All-NBA, and a 1995 NBA champ. Now, if you're a younger basketball fan, if you're like me, okay, 23 years old, your impression of Clyde Drexler might be based on The Last Dance, where Michael Jordan makes him sound like a bum. But he wasn't a bum, okay, it was... One of the top draft picks coming out of Houston. Okay, he's one of the best shooting guards ever. Okay, Clyde was one of the more athletic players in his day and age. He took Portland to two NBA Finals appearances. Finally won one with the Houston Rockets in 95 alongside his college teammates, Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon, who will be on this list much, much later. Okay, sadly, he played in an era against the best shooting guard ever, Michael Jordan. You know, and that kind of hinders him because he wasn't able to win as many championships because of it. He wasn't on as many All-NBA teams because of it. But he still had a really good career, so he comes in at number 42. Number 41, I've got Gary Payton. Career, 16 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists per game, 2 steals, and basically 0 blocks. Okay, This guy was the 1995-96 steal champ, 9-time All-Star, 9-time All-NBA, 2006 NBA champion. Okay, he was on the all-rookie team, nine-time all-defensive. He won Defensive Player of the Year in 95-96 as a guard, which is extremely impressive. Has one of the coolest nickname, nicknames ever, the glove, because of the defense that he played, the way that he would pick guys' pockets and come up with steals. He had several great seasons in Seattle playing for the Supersonics. Okay, uh, you know His partner in crime, Sean Kemp, they were a great duo. They won a lot of games, but just never enough to be the last team standing in the playoffs. If you've seen The Last Dance, you know the clip where Gary Payton talks about defending Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan just laughs at him. Okay, But later on in his career, 2006, he was able to grab a championship in Miami. Just a fantastic defensive player, a guy known for his trash talk. He comes in at number 41. At number 40, people aren't going to like this one, but that's fine. Number 40, I have Allen Iverson. Career points per game. 26.7, just an absolute outstanding score. Four rebounds a game, six assists a game, two steals a game. Four-time scoring champ, three-time steals champ, 11-time All-Star, only seven-time All-NBA. 
which is why I have him a little bit lower. 2000 to 2001, he won the MVP. He was the Rookie of the Year as well. Now, before y'all get really upset with me for having Allen Iverson at 40, um, there's an argument to be made that Allen Iverson is pound for pound the best basketball player to ever pick up a basketball. He's listed as six foot, 165 pounds, really small dude. But despite his lack of size, he's one of the best scorers to ever play in the NBA. He has one of the best handles in the history of the NBA. Okay, in the playoff run he had, you know, the same year he won the MVP, 2000 to 2001, it was his lone finals appearance, and he averaged just under 33 points per game during that run. Okay, like he was just an incredible scorer of the basketball, but that's really all that he was. Okay, when we look at other guys on this list, there are excellent scorers, but they aren't just excellent scorers. They score and they rebound. They score and their assist numbers are really good. They score and they won multiple championships. There's no and with Allen Iverson, and that's why I have to leave him at 40, and I can't put him any higher. Number 39, I have Steve Nash. Now people are really upset that I have Allen Iverson at 40. Career 14 points per game, 3 rebounds, 8.5 assists, 0.7 steals, and basically no blocks per game. 5-time assist champ, 8-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA, 2-time MVP. The reason why I have him in front of Allen Iverson. He could score when he wanted. He just didn't shoot the ball as much as Allen Iverson did. He has more MVPs. He has just as many All-NBAs. And he's the 5-time assist champ. Okay, One of the best passers in the history of the NBA. Okay, The man who has a lot to do with the volume of pick and roll in the NBA today, Steve Nash, is undeniably one of the best playmakers to ever to ever pick up a basketball. Okay, and I I kind of played the what if game a little bit with Steve Nash. Like, what if the the thing doesn't happen in 2007? Like, Jonathan, the thing, what thing? So after getting bounced in back-to-back Western Conference Finals, the Phoenix Suns are playing the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals. Okay, the Suns were on the verge of tying the series 2-2 to when Robert Ory fouls Steve Nash. And he doesn't just foul Steve Nash. Okay, this is late in the game. They're, they're, they're doing it to stop the clock. It was overly excessive. Okay, as Robert Ory shoves Steve Nash into the scores table, both Boris Diaw and Amari Stoudemire leave the bench to break up the fight that ensued. They were both suspended for Game 5. The Spurs went on the road, won in Phoenix. They went on to win the series and eventually the NBA title. It's one of the biggest what-ifs in the history of basketball. Okay, and if that doesn't happen and the Suns are able to win the NBA Finals that year, Nash probably has a ring and he's definitely higher on this list. But yeah, he's just one of my favorite players ever as well. So maybe that's why I have him at 39. But either way, his ability to both score and create shots for his teammates makes him better than Allen Iverson. Standing by it, I'm not backing off of it. Number 38, Patrick Ewing. 21 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, you know, two and a half blocks for his career, 11-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA. He won the Rookie of the Year in 85-86, to 86, uh, and he's three-time All-Defensive. Patrick Ewing, really similar to Clyde Drexler, Clyde Drexler, where part of his legacy is attached to Michael Jordan in a bad way. Okay, Ewing was on the Georgetown team that Michael Jordan hit the game-winning shot against in the, in the NCAA championship. Okay, Patrick Ewing lost to Michael Jordan five 
times in the NBA playoffs. Okay, and outside of the struggles with Jordan, Ewing was a dominant big man. Okay, he played during a time when there were a lot of notable big men in the NBA, and he held his own, and he had a great career. He's got one finals appearance, which he lost to the Houston Rockets in 1994. Got him at 38, just a physically dominant player. He's got to be in your top 1%, no matter who you are. Number 37, we got Elvin Hayes. Career, 21 points per game, 12.5 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks. The the 1968-1969 to scoring champ, 2-time rebounding champ, 12-time All-Star, 6-time All-NBA selection, 1978 NBA champ, and 2-time All-Defensive teams. Hayes is the definition of durable. You know, maybe in this world of load management, the fact that he played in so many games made me want to put him on this list, okay? Over his 16-year career, he only missed nine games. Okay, Hayes is one of the best scorers and rebounders in league history. He scored over 27,000 points, pulled down over 16,000 rebounds. Okay, he's the best player in the history of Washington Bullets slash Wizards history. Okay, with his scoring and his rebounding, it's unacceptable to not have him in the top 40 on your list even though he has a lack of MVPs, he has zero of those, and only the one championship. Okay, if he had, you know, another championship or an MVP, he'd be higher on this list, but he doesn't have them. Number 36, we have our first player that is still currently playing, and that is James Harden. You know, career, 25 points per game score, five and a half rebounds, seven assists per game for his career, one and a half steals, three-time scoring champ, two-time assist champ, 10-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA, won the MVP, has been voted, you know, top five in MVP voting multiple times, you know, and he has a sixth man of the year under his belt. You know, James Harden is one of the most frustrating players I've ever watched play basketball, but it is hard to deny his greatness. Okay, he plays little to no defense, but he's an offensive savant. Okay, it was clear when he entered the league that he was a gifted scorer, And when he moved away from Oklahoma City to Houston in the 2012-2013 season, his career really took off. It was the first time in his career that he was an everyday starter. And the scoring numbers jumped, and that led to an improvement in the playmaking. And then the five-year stretch from 2015 to 2020 is one of the most impressive five-year stretches in the history of the NBA. Over those five years, he won the MVP. He was a Chris Paul injury away from potentially making the NBA Finals. Dominated with the scoring and his passing over this stretch. The fewest points he averaged over those five seasons was 29 points per game. Okay, his high was 36. Okay, the passing was just as incredible. He averaged no less than seven and a half assists a night during those five years. And his best year, he averaged 11 assists a night. That's incredible. Now, despite that five year stretch, he's never hoisted the Larry O'Brien trophy. Okay. He said plenty of playoff duds, but if he ever wins a championship, he's going to move way up the list. But until then, he's going to sit at number 36. Number 35, we have Chris Paul. 14 points per game, 4 rebounds a game, 9 assists a game, 2 steals, 5-time assist champ, 6-time steals champ, 12-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA, won the Rookie of the Year, and he is 9-time All-Defensive, which is impressive given his size. He's one of my favorite players ever. Point guard who can play both sides of the ball at a high level. Okay, you don't earn the nickname point guard without being a skilled passer and ball handler. 
when you pair that with his defense, you get the 35th best player ever. Okay, and I'll be honest, there isn't a player that I want to see win a title more than Chris Paul. Just because when you look at all the accolades, it's a shame that he doesn't have an NBA title in there. Number 34, I've got John Stockton. 13 points a game, 2.5 rebounds, 10.5 assists, 2.2 steals, 9-time assist champ over his career, 2-time steals champ, 10-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA, 5-time All-Defensive. To the younger people who love Chris Paul, you would have loved John Stockton. Okay, imagine a player who never turned the ball over, felt like he never missed a shot, and yet another guard who can play both sides of the ball at a high level. The all-time leader in assists and steals in the history of the NBA deserves to be higher than 34th on the list, but he never won a championship. Okay, the Utah Jazz made two NBA Finals, 97-98, lost both to Michael Jordan. It's tough. Okay, much like Chris Paul, the only thing missing from his resume is a Larry O'Brien trophy. The reason why I have him in front of Chris Paul is because he's the all-time leader in assists and steals. That's, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. And finally, to end today's episode, number 33, I have Kawhi Leonard. 20, you know, 19.5 points per game for his career, 6.5 rebounds, 3 assists, just under 2 steals. Okay, he's the 2014-2015 steals champ, 5-time All-Star, 5-time All-NBA, 2-time NBA champ. That's why I have him above all the guys that I do is because of the multiple championships. 2-time Finals MVP as well. So he's the most important player in both of those series. On top of that, was All-Rookie, 7-time All-Defensive, 2-time Defensive Player of the Year. When Kawhi Leonard came into the league, he was a defensive specialist. Everyone remembers the famous LeBron James reaction when Leonard checks into the 2014 NBA Finals and LeBron's at the free throw line, he's like, oh, man, Leonard's back in, right? Um, that same year, he'd go on to win the Finals MVP. Two years later, you know, we begin to see the offensive side of his game, and that's when he really became a star, okay? And then obviously, you know, we, end up, we know he ends up forcing his way out of San Antonio. He ends up winning a championship in Toronto, of all places, and then, you know, that playoff run gives us the game-winning shot against Philly with the ball that bounced on the rim 37 times. And then they go on to beat the Warriors in the NBA Finals. I know Durant gets hurt and Clay Thompson was 100% and all that kind of stuff. But his career numbers are a bit lacking. And that is why he comes in at 33rd, 33rd all-time and not higher on the list. Um, he's a guy who, if he wants to move up the list, which he doesn't seem like the guy type of guy who cares, um then he's going to have to up those career averages and break into some all-time lists. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmitz. That was the first part of the 1%. The entire list is up on my Substack. I will link that below. In the in the description, if you want to see the whole list, make sure you come back. I'm hoping to have you know Zach Gray, Eddie Garrison, um, Matt Murphy on to discuss the rest of the list with me. I cannot wait to have those guys on to knock it out. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmitz. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know this was a long podcast, but I hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you all again on Tuesday.